Hi, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. It's been said that most podcasts die after the seventh episode, so hey, look at us, we're alive. At episode eight, I'd like to thank all the folks that have agreed to be on this podcast and all the people that have communicated to me how much they enjoy it, so that's been great. So this one is Dating in the Age of Partner Selection. And as you might have guessed, that was the theme music from The Dating Game. Probably not, because most of you folks don't remember that show, and honestly, I don't either, but it sounded so bumpy and jumpy, I had added to the beginning of this podcast. We've got James Curran, who is a gentleman that I know from really just a shared history. We've definitely been a lot of similar places, and James and I have connected over networking over time, and we came up with this idea, and he just crushed it. He totally took this idea of dating and beat the analogy to death, which is exactly what I was hoping for. So good job, James. Uh, You'll check him out on his Twitter feed, all linked in here at the comments section of the podcast. So thank you all for listening in and let me know what you think. Welcome to episode eight of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. I'm happy to say that it looks like we made it over the edge, hedge. Most podcasts die after seven episodes and this one is still going. So yay, let's hear it for me and all my wonderful guests. And in honor of that, we're going to do a special podcast, number eight, about selecting a partner. Uh, And by partner in both relationships and specifically technology, we think there's a lot of corollaries. We're going to probably end up beating this analogy to death, which is what I really like to do. And I'm here with uh, James Corrin, who, uh, let's see, James and I go back up couple years, there's a networking introduction, and we found out we worked at a lot of the same places and had a similar background and philosophy, and it's just been a a regular coffee and conversation ever since. And we thought, you know what? Let's record that for the benefit of all you. So, James, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, I'm super excited to be here. Um, And, you know, as you mentioned, my name is James. I've spent the last decade helping Fortune 1000 companies understand, you know, the latest in technology, helping them set digital strategy and really plan and build the right mobile and web products. Um, In my current role, I'm a principal consultant at ArcWeb Technologies uh, based right here in Philadelphia. And I spend most of my time, you know, working with clients to help them define their digital product strategy and overseeing teams that are building, you know, those mobile or web applications. So, you know, really as it relates to our conversation today, um, you know, I've spent you know, all of my professional career, um, you know, involved in professional service companies. So, um, you know, the firms that I've worked with have been 100% service driven. Many would call them agencies, although I don't love that word and maybe we'll talk about it. And, um, you know, because I've always played a strategic and consultative role, I've been a part of um, what some people might call sales and what other people might call just the first conversations with somebody that you might want to work for. Um, so that's uh, that's a little bit of my history in the space. Yeah, sort of the initial courting, shall yes, we say. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's just going to keep going. So, so what we're talking about here really is sort of dating in the age of partner selection. It's something that many companies have to go through when they're switching either a platform or an agency. And we thought we'd, you know, have a conversation from both sides of the equation and sort of, you know, maybe look at it. Maybe is it, is it The Bachelor? Is it Bumble? Is it Tinder? I mean, it, there's a lot of different ways you could look at how you pick the and how you commit to a, a, a potentially a long-term relationship with somebody. You want it to be contrived. You don't want it to be artificial. You're you're looking for lots of opinions about that vendor. Um, but ultimately, you you know you're trying to create a relationship that's going to be long-standing. And we're going to talk about some of the things that we've seen that have worked. Uh, some approaches that 
are consistently done out there and we might not like to see happen again, but uh, I think it'll be an interesting conversation regardless. All right, so so first off, when you want to think about uh, creating one of these relationships with a vendor, whether it's a technology partner, um, you have to decide, you have to look internally and really understand where you are along your own journey as a company. Um, and, you know, I think, James, we've talked about this a lot, but yep. it's really about like, articulating that, that problem. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, because I've been a part of so many of these processes, you see a huge discrepancy when folks come to start a conversation with you about maybe working together. Um, and Eric, like you mentioned, I think that, um, you know, along that continuum of or along the discrepancy that you see, you see people that have a really clear understanding of kind of where they are and what they're looking for. And you have you, you often have folks that really have no idea or very little of an idea of really the problem that they're trying to solve. Um, and, and for me, um, that's really where it starts. Uh, anytime that I have a new conversation with somebody that thinks that, that maybe our firms can work together or maybe I can help them out, um, really where the conversation ultimately starts is, you know, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? What are the challenges that you're trying to overcome? Um, and very often we over, we over mystify the answer to that question. Um, this isn't something that you need to have written down or be, be able to, to, to articulate and, and carve into stone tablets. But, you know, if you're a leader or a manager or somebody that's been charged with, you know, finding a partner to help you get something done, um, I think the baseline expectation is, you know, what you're looking for. Definitely. And, and that makes it a lot easier for you to both sell that internally to your organization and for ultimately creating the criteria that, that are going to define what the right partnership is. I mean, you know, what are you trying to do? Are you looking for staff augmentation? Are you looking to um, support in project or product development? You know, there's, are you looking for a more broader sort of development factory? There's so many different types of engagement models, uh, business models, operating models when these relationships you know, you definitely want to come at it with a sense of what you're looking for and then ultimately define those requirements in a number of different ways. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of sort of the weighted scorecard. Uh, it's this approach where essentially you list all the requirements, you list uh, a potential weighting and prioritization of those, and then you score them. I mean, I think it's a creating the, the scorecard itself is a great exercise because in general, you're not the only one doing it. You have to do it amongst a group and you have to come to some consensus and that will help you as well. Um, work across organizations because these partnerships are generally not often done from one individual. It's it's a broader group. Yeah, I, I think it's funny that you mentioned the weighted scorecard. I think even as a precursor to that, um, to really identify the right criteria, um, there's an implication that you actually have to identify the people within your company or your peers that are going to be influential in setting and establishing those criteria. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, modern organizations are complicated and there are, um, you know, folks that often have, you know, maybe requirements or needs that they're very willing to talk about. And there are often needs or desires that they're not willing to talk about or not willing to put on a scorecard. And I think that, you know, before you run out to find either a piece of software that you think might meet your needs or a solution provider that might be able to build or help you get closer to where you need to go, um, really identifying who those people are and finding the right way to really understand, you know, what's in it for them from a short and a long-term standpoint, right? Uh, 
misalignment at this first stage in the game is incredibly dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked about the relationship analogy. Most of us, when we, uh, most of us, when we start dating, don't sit down and necessarily create a scorecard ahead of time. Um, although I maybe did. I did. I did. <laughs> Eric probably did, but most normal people, um, <laughs> typically don't, um, sit down and create a scorecard. And if they do, they probably don't share it on the first date. Um, so, you know, I think as we talk, we'll identify, you know, there's some places where the, um, relationship parallel the human relationship parallel makes a lot of sense and there are other places where maybe a little bit more rigor is required well my therapist instructed me to do that as i <laughs> headed out in the dating world and it, it's a good exercise regardless of where you are in any relationship what what is it that you want you know you need to have your needs met mm-hmm. right um and i'm talking about a partner relationship now but again i do think that that's internal alignment as you were talking about is, is critical um making sure you have that sort of cross-functional approach because all of those individuals will be touched at some point. And guess what? If you miss that one person who down the line you know, has a beef with the engagement, they're like, well, you never talked to me, and I'm now going to be a thorn in your side for the rest of this, and I could prove me right for not being right. uh, engaged. So yeah, we've all seen it happen. You know, it's, it's a political as much as it is anything else, so you just need to cover your ass, I guess, is, is one <laughs> I, approach. Cover your ass. <laughs> cover your ass is 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 makes sense. I think covering maybe covering covering all of your bases. Right, talking to talking to the folks that are going to be involved in the decision, um, and not just the formal decision makers, but people that are going to be influenced or touched. I think that um, you know, as a step one, understanding their needs is a critical input to kind of creating that you know that that scorecard or that matrix or identifying how you're going to be making your decision. Um, I think on the flip side, and I don't know if it's a counterpoint, but as an addendum to that idea, is it's also okay to say that you don't know yet, right? Um, If you're not ready to sit down or you don't feel like you have the expertise that you need to write down on a piece of paper or a spreadsheet or create like a scoring rubric for, you know, vendor or solution selection, um, it's okay to seek help from an outside firm, Um, but the key there, of course, is when you're, you're you're talking to someone about that, the first words out of your mouth should probably be, I don't know and I'm looking for your help, right? And that's another piece of the puzzle that often gets missed. Um, you know, I think there's plenty of solution providers out there. You know, I've been happy to work at firms where we're, we typically prefer to be engaged very early in the process. So when somebody comes to me and says, I know I need to accomplish something, but here's what I don't know. That's a refreshing way to start the conversation and we can guide them through that process. We can help the, we can help them figure out, you know, um, where they need to be. And maybe it's just a conversation or two, um, before we put together a scorecard or some sort of decision-making criteria. And maybe there's real work that needs to be done ahead of that. And maybe that's step one. And I think, um, again, opening yourself up to that uh, as a possibility and having the courage to say, um, you know, within your company or externally to a couple potential partners, I don't know and I'm looking for help here. Um, the, the more clearly you can make that statement, the better. Yeah, that, that kind of even call it vulnerability is, is, can sometimes mm-hmm. be attractive in a partner. Hmm. Um, no, but I, I, I do believe that, that knowing your own uh, ability, have you done this before? You know, if you haven't, there's no shame. And I think lots of organizations, um, you know, hopefully will have that culture that will support you 
in getting an expert opinion. Um, I hope you don't feel like you're the type of person that can't show that type of vulnerability because it's a sign of weakness. You know, that's a whole separate conversation. But I do agree that that reaching out, getting the questions answered, use your network, uh, talk to some folks you know. I mean, the more you inform yourself, the better the whole process will go and ultimately reflect better on you individually if you're the mm-hmm. the, the, the point of uh, main point of contact for this. Type I, thing. I, I think another piece that's relevant there is um, – Sometimes, you know, as you're looking through the information you know or what you'd like to share with somebody, you, the, the onus isn't necessarily on you to piece it all together um, in a way that all the puzzle pieces fit perfectly. Um, I was just involved in an early stage conversation last week, and I got an interesting and very leading question um, from the company that I was talking to. Um, and in my work, if you're building anyone that's, you know, mo- many of your listeners are, are building websites or maintaining them, building building mobile apps or, or at least managing them. And, and for anyone that's worked in tech, we know that um, it's the target is often a moving target and requirements uh, change and evolve over the course of a project. Um, a client came to me and asked, um, and I'm going to mess up the quote, but they came to me and asked, how will you ensure that all of the requirements are identified before you start development? Um, and it, it, that's, that's fundamental. It's a good example of the wrong question to ask. And, you know, uh, as we basically unpack that, the, the, the answer to the, the, really the answer to that question was what happened? Clearly this person had been burned. Right. And as we probed a little bit deeper, you know, they found out that the last partner that they worked with um, had a very uh, legacy and waterfall based approach. And there was a lot of surprises along the way um, that were perceived as incomplete or uh, unsubstantiated requirements. Um, And, you know, I think there's a better way to approach that fact and get that information. I had to do a lot of digging to figure that out. And it was an important piece of information in determining how we would work together. It might have been easier or it may have been a little more transparent if the person I was talking to said, to be honest, the last firm we worked with really burned us. And here's why we felt so betrayed. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So so like in relationships, sometimes games are played Yeah. where you have to sort of guess the real history or issue that somebody doesn't want to be as forthcoming about. Um, but yeah, I, I totally see that as well. And, and part of that, in, in my mind, is sort of their their ability to, again, recognize how much information am I willing to give somebody uh, because I kind of want them to show their approach as well. So asking that question, which may be a wrong question, maybe the right answer is, you know what, we're going to miss some requirements. I'm sure of it. But what we have is a process for uncovering those, rolling Mm -hmm. those back into the requirements definition using a, a certain type of methodology, you know, because if anybody comes oh yeah, we never miss requirements. Bullshit. Right. right? That's, not, that's not real. And so you have to show that, yeah, we're going to miss requirements. It happens. I guarantee it. Right. So do you have the right approach or process? And that, again, is – but I think there's lots of different ways that you're being tested in the initial courting here. And that could be one. And um, I think you know one of the big tests, and, and maybe we'll jump into this now, is – Something that we both dealt with, um, I consider it the bane of of the initial courting process, but it's the uh, RFP, the Request for Proposal. It's the nature of the beast. I, I honestly feel like from a trend standpoint, 
a lot of companies may be moving away from that, but the larger the organization, the bigger the power procurement has, the more need for the rigor. I, mean, I get it. You, you need to have some way apples to apples to compare these companies, but the energy and the effort and the time and the cost that we all go through uh, in preparing and responding to RFPs, it's just, you know, it's it's rough. There, there are there are good things and bad things about the RFP process. And, you know, just a few minutes ago, we were suggesting that you should write down and gather up in one place as much relevant information as possible so that when you talk to potential vendors or partners, you can communicate with them and have a really good dialogue. Um, an RFP process does that. That's a positive thing, right? Um, especially some of the more formalized processes out there put the onus on the company that's running that RFP to create a document that needs to be sent out. And that is certainly a positive. Um, one, of the, one of the major downsides or perhaps one of the most thematic challenges with RFP process is it's by nature artificial and contrived. Right. And, you know, you and I were, were joking about, you know, the dating game or the bachelor. Um, they may be entertaining television, but are they the most effective um, strategy for finding uh, a husband or wife? Um, I don't know what the I don't know what the data is on the bachelor, but there's been a lot of bachelor uh, seasons of the bachelor and its many permutations. And there's been like one or two marriages that have lasted more than a year. And, and there's a reason for that. Right. Um, there, there's a number of of there are a number of things that that artificial environment does that really doesn't prepare the people meeting um, for the rigors of handling a real-world relationship. Because once the sale is over and you're building a piece of technology together, it's, it's real, right? Um, it's, a, it's a very real, it's, it's like jumping from courtship to marriage, right? And you learn all the dirty secrets and you learn the strengths and weaknesses. Um, so, you know, cre- in my opinion, at least, if you're, you want to get to know who that person is going to be. You want to know not who the best sales face of the partner you're selecting, but you want to know what it's going to be like to work with them for three months, six months, a year, three years. And an RFP process is a great way to learn what their sales team is like. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and we can certainly talk more about that. Yeah, oh, definitely. And, and I think um, you know aspects of the RFP, we know it's the nature of the beast. Um, I think your point is, uh, as well, and we'll get to it, is it has to be a part of a larger mm-hmm. uh, decision-making process, right? It's, it's, it's definitely a component that will give you your, your best apples-to-apples comparison on paper. Um, and, and, and doing that and understanding it has to be part of the plan. You know, one of the key questions is when. Right. When do you go to RFP? Um, if you go too early, you're going to not really have that sense of requirements as we discussed earlier, and you're not going to make the most of that investment in time uh, to get really that apples-to-apples comparison as best you can. Uh, if you do it too late, you're going to be extending your process uh, much longer because, again, you've you've maybe beat too much in the requirements, and now you've got a much bigger RFP than, than uh, can be managed, and you're going to demand a lot from the vendors, and, and you have to go through the written response, the oral response, the beauty and the swimsuit competition, right. and then all those <laughs> other pieces that take take a while to, to do it. So I think those are some things we, we talked about as well. Right. I, I The other thing about the RFP process is, and I talked about it being an artificial process, um, you know, there are 
um, organizations out there that run very formalized RFP processes. And I think they're, you know, to be honest, my exposure is only in digital and technology. And I don't think they're incredibly, uh, I don't think they're a great tool in that space. I think there are probably some more traditional, um, you know, um, hardcore engineering environments or some other industries or spaces where the RFP might be more um, relevant or a, a better tool. But regardless, um, you know, in technology, often an RFP is the is a structured way of interacting with vendors that are brand new or new for the first time. You're getting to know new people, but um, at the same time, um, you are also deciding who you're going to spend the next year of your life with. Right? It's like mashing up speed dating where you get, you know, speed dating is an exciting concept where you get to talk to everybody for five minutes and then you get to decide, do I want to go on another date with them? And I think one of the reasons, um, and I'm projecting having never done it, I think one of the reasons why that's, that is, that idea is valuable is that um, even though it's artificial, even though you only get to talk to people for five minutes, all you have to decide is, do I want a second date? Right? The bar, the stakes are low. Right. And if you meet someone for five minutes and decide you hit it off and go out to dinner the next week and decide, oh, my God, this person is nothing like who I thought he was or she was, you can be done. Sometimes these RP processes make this such a big process. And in that five minute speed dating where you only get three Q&A sessions plus two written responses and a big formal meeting with 20 people in the room, you have to pick somebody that you're going to work with for a year. Right. How could your confidence be that high? Right. Is that really fair to ask of your peers making the decision with you or the folks that you've asked to come in and put on a show for your behalf? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's part of the process. I think knowing where it fits from the standpoint of how much you're going to get out of it mm-hmm. is key. So, so when we talk about it from a buyer standpoint, right? There's there's multiple ways you can run this process, the RFP process. There's more formal. There's also more of a mutual discovery approach. Um, yeah, I, I've seen a couple where they really shift more towards intimacy and really want to understand your cultural fit because because mm-hmm. that's a big piece. I don't think it's the you're not going to get out of an RFP, but you can definitely see with other aspects, site visits, things like that because. You know the questions you ask also set the tone for that relationship going forward. Um, you know, I think every aspect of these interactions are things that you, as a vendor, are looking for to get a sense of is this going to be an effective, productive, profitable partnership. Right. Uh, the same way it is for on the client side as well. So yeah, I, I think that you know you mentioned. Um, some of the the soft elements or some of the more human elements of of selecting somebody to work with, um, you know, one of the things that I'm a huge fan of is you know assuming you're not constrained by an overly structured process, um, you know, find a way to get to know the company or the team that you're considering working with. Um, you know, find the office that your relationship will be serviced out of, and see if you can drop by for lunch one day. Um, see the premise, right? Um, you you want to get to know not only the face, you know, that a potential vendor or service provider is 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 presenting to you, but you want to see what their offices are like. You want to meet some of the some of the um, mid level people that maybe weren't in the sales meeting with you, but or you'll probably be working with more on a day to day basis. Um, you know, you want to see what kind of cars are in the parking lot and who's still in the office at 6.30 um, at night. 
And I don't even know if it's good to have a lot of people in the office at 630 <laughs> at night or not to have a lot of people in the office at 630 at night. But you're, you're, you're looking for a team that you're compatible with. Um, and, you know, depending on the culture of your company and the culture of the folks that you're thinking about working with, what you're really looking for is like compatibility and alignment. Yeah. Um, and that could still be the precursor to, you know, um, to running a formalized process or inviting, you know, if you go for, you know, eight lunch meetings, you know, you could ultimately pick three of those potential vendors to invite into a more formal structured process. But now you've got a good sense that there's some potential for human being compatibility here. Yeah. Um, you're obviously not going to pick somebody just on the fact that, you know, they work the same hours as you. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that that's sort of getting that broader research understanding of these vendors is key. And we'll get a little more to that. But back, back to the RFP, you know, one thing that I've noticed is some companies are much more uh, willing to open the kimono and really share data, issues, pain um, through the RFP process with the assumption that NDAs are in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and others are more cagey, are more guarded. And, you know, that's an approach as well. But I think, you know, f- from my standpoint, it's always worked better with more information because you're feeding the vendor as much info as possible for them to give the most effective and, and well-thought-out response. So just another aspect of this sort of honesty and transparency in relationships that I've I've struggled with uh, personally. Oh, anyway, enough about me. I I, I mean, the, the, there's a, there's an onus on you selecting a partner to um, provide a subset of the world of information that's available for you to help them understand what you're trying to do and understand why you're trying to do it and hopefully articulate how they think they can help. So there there is a filter. You do have to put a filter on. You you in theory you spend a hundred percent of your time thinking about your world and this problem and your business, and they don't. So you have to translate some of that for them. A mistake that I've seen over and over again is um, companies provide too narrow a focus or too too small of a subset of information for the potential partner to really make an educated. Um, you know, to put together a smart approach or an approach that's as informed as it could be. And one of the things that I would encourage to people going through this process, um, if you're the one selecting a partner, is um, think about sharing um, more information than your your instinct um, maybe indicates. Um, so if you have, if you're looking for a development partner and you have, you know, a 50-page wireframe or design documentation that you feel like really well articulates the requirements for what you're trying to build. Um, There are probably three or four screens of that that you would consider putting into an initial RFP. But one of the challenges is that those partners are going to spend a huge chunk of time guessing what was in the 47 pages (laughs) that you didn't share. Right, so I know that sometimes you may feel that there's some secret sauce there, or there may be some trade secrets there. Um, you know, how secure do you feel in your NDA? Those are a lot of questions to answer. But if you're in a position to do it, I think a better approach would be share the three or five screens that you think are most relevant and provide the full document as an appendix. Um, that way, the folks that you're talking to, um, if they have the appetite to dig deep and to really try to understand, at least they're reviewing your real situation. They're not guessing, right? And that's the last thing you want them to do, um, you know, if you're truly bought in on finding the right partner to help you hit your goals. Definitely. So, so let's expand it now beyond the RFP, some other areas where you want to supplement your research or information <clears throat> as you make this decision. 
Uh, you know, we call them the magic or tragic quadrants, and this is probably <laughs> a little more relevant to the technology providers out there, the SaaS platforms, than, than let's say, a, a technology partner, an agency. But these players are out there, the Gartners, the Foresters. I mean, they used to be the Yankee group. I think they're gone now. But but there's a number of these sort of analyst firms that, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, really do a great job in what they do. There's also sometimes some conflict of interest because they do get paid uh, to do what they do by the vendors who they're evaluating. Uh, so you have to take all of that with a grain of salt. But they do do a fairly decent job in at least exploring some of the questions to ask, which I think is is how best to use them. Uh, looking at their analysis, their quadrants, their ratings, definitely it's a, a data point. I, I don't want it to overweight it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of data and analysis out there from a lot of sources. Um, you know, for me... There's two um, two ways of looking at this question. I think one of the things to really consider is um, it depends to some extent on what type of a search you're doing. If you're looking for a CMS product, you're 99% sure you're going to buy something off the shelf. Um, you can probably get um, a way more of your decision on what maybe a Forrester or a Gartner might say or maybe help narrow down your search in that capability. Um, at the, on the flip side, if you're looking for somebody to come on you or to partner with you and to take a journey with you into the unknown, um, it becomes a little trickier to, to look at like Gartner or Forrester as an assessment of some of the service providers out there. Um, I think that's the first um, I think that's kind of the first insight. Um, for me, um, working in technology, um, I feel like the the arena that we all play in is moving faster and faster and it makes it harder and harder. And it makes the solutions that people are looking to put into place, the products that people want to build or the web and mobile apps that people want to put in the market, they are more and more nuanced for each company and for each consumer base. And it makes it harder for the big companies to really say, these guys can nail it. I recently I've been starting to think of this idea that, you know, if you're looking for a partner, um, finding somebody that has really good knowledge of the best practices in the field that you're looking for, like, that's okay. Um, Better than finding someone that really knows the best practice and standards is finding somebody with experience, right? The next step up is finding someone that's done it, right? And a lot of firms are really looking for someone that's done it or tackled it. Um, but I would suggest that in just the next, the, in just the last few years, there's another evolution, which is this idea that, yeah, best practices are good, experience are better is better, but real understanding of you and what you're trying to accomplish really trumps all of that, right? And really what you should be looking for is somebody that's committed to truly understanding the unique situations that your business is in and that your customers are in. And you cannot find that understanding on any report. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. That's, again, that sort of need to find someone that gets you mm-hmm. right and <laughs> understand your business and uh back to the relationship analogy again but it's true you mm-hmm. want someone to get you and and be willing to make that extra effort to understand your business your unique needs and be a partner for the long haul i think that's definitely you know what we're all trying to be out there in in, in this space so so other areas within you know outside of the rfp and the analyst research you know I, it's a couple ones we came up with I, i'm a fan of glass door it's it's an interesting one because you have to know that and for those who don't know glass door is sort of a uh, internal review of company sites. I mean, they have job postings, but they also have reviews from companies by people that worked at those companies. Now, 
you have to take that with a grain of salt too because the people that tend to go into Glassdoor are people that want to bitch about their companies. Yeah. So you, you might not you might get a negatively weighted viewpoint. Um, however, you know it, it's interesting to read anyway, and I do think it's something that's just another data point I, I suggest you check out. If you're looking at evaluating a company, you want to see what the people that work there think of it. I, I think that there's like two really good ways to use Glassdoor. One of them is to make sure that you're comparing apples to apples. Um, so if you have a short list of potential partners or folks that you're thinking about working with, look at their Glassdoor um, pages and compare them to each other. Don't compare them to yours, right? <laughs> Only because, you know, um, you know, depending on the industry, um, you know, my, the, the, you know, there are a lot of tech companies that, that trend very young. Right. Um, Young people complete Glassdoor reviews in a different way than maybe people that are older are. So we want to make sure you're comparing apples to apples um, and take a look under the cover or under the hood at the Glassdoor site for all of the, the folks that you might be considering. I think the second really interesting way to use that tool is if there's something on there that's scathing or interesting or maybe hard to believe, um, I wouldn't in the right context, um, bring it up. Right, not because you need to hear somebody um, explain it away, or not that you need to challenge somebody on maybe a negative glass door review, but um, there's going to be tough conversations in your relationship going forward. Right? See how they handle it. Right? See how effectively, or, or you know, do they own it? Do they explain it away? Do they acknowledge a failure? And you know, um, you know, really, how do they handle? a less than, you know, a less than wonderful conversation, um, you know, it's not going to be all butterflies and rainbows once you start yeah. working together. There are no perfect companies out there. There's no perfect relationships. So except, again, except for ArcWeb. Oh, of course. ArcWebTechnologies.com. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well played. Well played. Points. Points for James. All right. So, um, so a couple other uh, quick, quick pieces on research. We, we, I like. I'm a big fan of checking resumes. I mean, if you want to know exactly who's going to be working with you on that team, you're going to get. You know, when you ask for the resumes, you'll get a, a subset, probably some of their best people. They put their best faces forward, and and just know you're not going to may not get them because when uh, an agency or a firm. Uh, finally signs on the dotted line, that's when they allocate resources. They're not going to do it before. So, you know, asking for resumes, great. Just know, you, you know, they may not be the people that you end up working with. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to, are you looking to, are you, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of different flavors of, of vendors and solution providers out there, right? Are you looking for specific people or are you looking for specific results? And we will, I think that sounds like a topic for another podcast. So we can't, we won't unpack it that much. <laughs> Let's compartmentalize that one. Yeah, no, I agree. So, so what we are talking about here in many ways is all about risk management strategies. You're trying to do the right thing for your company and yourself to protect your business and sometimes your career. And, uh, you know, you're, you're looking to try to grow, but you're also trying to uh, cover your ass. And, you know, some of this is driven by fear as well. And you have to recognize that in this day and age in this competitive space. Yeah, I, I, there are. I've been part of bad um, RPs or sales processes that are really about planning failure, um, for lack of a better term, right? Um, and I feel like that's a fundamental mistake folks make in that sales or selling processes. Um, the primary goal of the person running the process is to add enough rigor or enough showmanship to the selection so that. Uh, at the end of the day, if the project isn't successful or maybe it's not as successful as it could be, um, they can say with confidence, well, we all selected this firm together. We all agreed through this 17-step process to hire firm XYZ, and clearly they didn't deliver. It surely wasn't on me, right? 
And I think that we can all agree that, you know, if you look for, um, if you look for a um, excuse to fail, you'll find an excuse to fail. Um, and I, I know that, you know, there's a, there's a risk management component of this process, but I think ultimately a running a sales or a selection process in good faith, planning for success, right? Understanding and holding that vision of what a good partner, what the upside looks like is a more important or more uh, critical component of your conversation rather than planning for what you'll do if they don't deliver, um, something to think about. But, you know, use the 80-20 rule here, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, we, we spoke earlier, we talked about sort of creating uh, milestones within the relationship process, right? You, you're not going to kiss in the first date, but again, you're going to create a project and an engagement that hopefully can grow with some very key checkpoints that if it doesn't look like it's working out, you have the ability to opt out, to bail, to move on, to bring in a different vendor. You know, that's that's a way to protect yourself. And uh, I think it's pretty smart. Again, you, as a vendor, you want to get that commitment because you're going to put a lot of resources and energy into that initial process but you know it's one of those things where you have to understand both sides yeah i i I, there are we're all beholden to certain budgeting and accounting and and financial planning processes within our organizations um and those are realities and we have to live with them but at the same time um you know if you're planning to you know a large technology project that's going to cost you you know a million dollars and a year to execute Really ask yourself, do you really need to pick, do you really need to commit that entire budget contractually right now? Or is it going to be okay to go through the selection process and find somebody that you think can absolutely take you all the way, but um, just bet a tenth of your budget, right? Just go for the first leg of the journey with them. And then from there, um, you know, plan the second leg together. Um, I think that that's a very viable alternative strategy to managing your risk, right? If that first vendor um, doesn't do a good job or isn't compatible or seems to be a mistake, um, you know, if you're only 10% in, you're only one month into a 12-month journey, you've got an opportunity to pivot right there and, and, and reset your expectations, right? I think it's, better, it's a better way of, of handling your relationship and kind of unpacking it over time, right? You meet somebody, you decide if you want one date, then you decide if you want multiple dates, do we still say going steady? I don't think oh, so. Um, you're getting pinned. We 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 move. We, you know, you decide if you want to move in or get engaged, and then you know the confidence of all of those steps together. Eventually, you decide. Oh, screw it. Let's spend our lives together. Um, and I think um, you know, in that context, is a good. That's a good metaphor for you know. Do you really need to propose on the first date? Mm-hmm. I would recommend no. But you do need to make sure that you're both in the same place emotionally and you think that marriage could be an option. If someone's wow. not looking for marriage, you know, if they're looking for something else, then, you know, maybe you don't want to go on that second date. Well played, Jams. I thought I was going to be the one that was going to kill this <laughs> analogy, but you definitely beat it to death. That was great. I'm, um, I'm, I'm serious. That was that was solid. That was strong. I'm hoping my wife doesn't listen to this <laughs> podcast. Um, she'll 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 be my biggest yeah, critic. Because the last thing we want is uh, any relationship is potential for divorce so um that was awesome james well on that note i'm gonna wrap this one up this has been a great great uh conversation uh so james maybe you can tell folks where they can find you if they're interested in hearing more from you and your company awesome um well thanks again for having me um i've had a blast um you know 
for on the off chance that folks are looking to find me out there on the internet, um, the easiest way is either on Twitter at J Coran, K-O-R-A-N, or on LinkedIn. Um, easiest way to hit me on LinkedIn is to go to uh, jamescoran.com, which is not a fancy website, just direct, redirects to my LinkedIn profile. Um, and if you're, uh, if you happen to be on the hunt for a partner, um, to help plan or design or develop your next mobile or web application, um, you know, I'd love it if you checked out, uh, ArcWeb, um, go to arcweb.co and, uh, check us out. Uh, like I mentioned, ArcWeb Technologies is a service company. We help you plan your strategy, design and build custom software for companies, uh, primarily in digital health and finance. So if you're one of those people, I'd love for you to come say hi as well. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, James. That was that was fun. And uh, for everyone out there, happy dating. <laughs>